Who's ready for the word today? All right, open your Bibles up to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to begin here and we're going to go through a couple of verses, scriptures, but we're going to end up spending the majority of our time in a story in Genesis chapter 26. That's where we'll spend the bulk of our time today. But I want to build some things kind of as a foundation with you before we get there. And so let's read verses 3 through 5 in Ephesians 1. Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Does that fire you up right there? He chose you before He formed the foundation of the world. His eye and His heart were on you and the plan that He was creating you for in your life before He spoke light and created the orbits of the planets and everything like that. Like you were already on his mind. I love that. Uh, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. So it pleases him to bring us to himself. It pleases the heart of God when man is restored into relationship with him. And so the beginning of these verses we see says that God has richly blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. This is powerful stuff. I mean, we could tread into this for weeks, honestly. Because it's so rich with revelation and with insight into the character and promise of God. But I want to draw your attention, especially today, to the idea that God has blessed us as his children. Everybody say, we are blessed. What does it mean to be blessed? It's a statement that we can say and use uh, a lot to the point where it becomes a little bit cliche if we're not careful, right? Bless you, bless me, I'm blessed, bless, you know, God bless you. You know where that came from? You're, you know, what do people, we say when people sneeze, we say, God bless you, right? Like in the early centuries, there were some superstitions that derived in the church that people would think that when somebody was sneezing, that they were getting a demon out of them. They were possessed, or if they were really ill, because they had a demon, and so when they sneezed, the demon was coming out. So whatever you do today, if somebody sneezes in service, don't look at your neighbor and be like, I, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. Okay. Say, we are blessed. But when you say God has blessed us, let me try to give you a picture. I'm going to have my wife come up here for just a second, because she's got a jacket on. And I planned this, I was like, oh, I'm going to just get somebody up here with a jacket. And then it occurred to me last night that it's, you know, a heat advisory in effect. So we probably don't have anybody wearing a jacket. But she's got a jacket. So um, you probably want to keep that on, don't you? All right. So let's pretend that the jacket, <laughs> this is not working. Let's pretend that the jacket was mine. I had the jacket, because I would probably look good in that too, right? I had the jacket, but I put the jacket on her. Because it was mine to give, and now the jacket 
is on her, resting upon her, and she's wearing it. When we say that God has blessed us, or we are blessed, it means that He has conferred something upon us. He has put something on us that rests upon us, but it is up to us to wear it. Does that make sense? It's, it's ours, but it's up to us to carry it and to wear it and to rest under it all of the time. Thank you very much for that demonstration. We can give her a round of applause. And so the key here that I want you to see is that it says God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing from the heavenly places. It is a past tense grammatical expression. That's really significant. It means that the work that God needed to do to impart this blessing upon his people has already been done. He has blessed us, so we are blessed in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing from heavenly places. So the blessing that rests upon the children of God, might I add, it's very expansive. There are so many wondrous things to the blessings of God in our lives that we see in this word. But just as a general sense, that the blessing of God that is upon us does not have its origin in an earthly environment. That, to me, is really uh, key because if I am wearing something that God has given me, then that tells me that anything that has its origin in the earthly realm is inferior to those things which have their origin in the heavenly realm. So the blessings of God that, we have, been, that have been put upon us are superior to the forces at work here in this world that reside in this earthly environment. So the title of our message today is, What is blessed cannot be cursed. What is blessed cannot be cursed. Because I would be remiss if I were to sit here and say, we're blessed and you're blessed and God's blessed you. Hallelujah, you're just going to walk around blessed all of the time. And we left it at that. In my strong opinion, it needs to also be said, you are blessed. There is a blessing upon you by God. You're blessed in Christ Jesus. But there is an adversary, the devil, who roars around like a lion on the prowl, always, all the time, seeking whom he may devour. And he comes, even though Jesus came to give us life and give it abundantly, that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So the blessings of God that are on our lives, that God has put on us if we are His children, the enemy is always at work to try and attack or try and destroy the fulfillment and the manifestations of those blessings in our lives as we walk through this earth. And frankly, there are times in people's lives where the enemy succeeds in doing that. Because in order to wear the blessing, in order to rest under the blessings of God, please hear me, you must walk by faith 
and not by sight. You see, I walk by sight and I see in the natural, I see what's going on, I'm affected by all of that, and then you allow the enemy to get an open door and get a, a foothold in your life where he begins to bring, ha- wreak havoc and destruction on the blessings that God is wanting to bring you. And those blessings, while it's a past tense expression, God has, has blessed us, that it is something that continues to progress and build and accumulate all through our lives does not reach its ultimate fulfillment until we actually step into glory in the heavenly realm on the other side of this temporal life and this temporal earth. So it's always growing and always building. Read verses 13 and 14 in there with you. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed... You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So the Holy Spirit is given to us. He says it's like a promise and a guarantee until the redemption of the purchased possession. So until the full realization of that occurs. So it's always building and growing. I would say, maybe as an example, you understand how a trust fund works, right? Somebody receives a trust fund. They receive this full inheritance. It's already done. It's already been written. It's already been recorded. It's already been sealed. But there are elements of a trust fund that are released at age 18, they get this much, 21, they get this much, and when they're, you know, then they have full, it, it continues to build and grow. So a Paul's saying here is that the Holy Spirit is a guarantee, which means it's like a down payment or a deposit. It seals us and secures us. It says everything that God has given us is ours. But it's continuing to build and grow until the redemption of the purchased possession. So until the fulfillment of everything that God has for us comes, we won't see until we cross over to the other side. This is great news because in... Very simple terms, what that means is the best is always yet to come. The best is always yet to come. You know, you hear people say things like, oh, in my glory days, you know. Oh, back in the day, man, that was really the time of my life. And I get it, you know, sometimes people say that because they were in much better health or physical condition or whatever, different crazy things. But Really, from a spiritual perspective, as far as the blessings and things of God go, I announce to you, according to Scripture, that the best is always yet to come. And we strive to pursue and seek the continued release and manifestation of those blessings that God has for us that have already been secured for us. We have to live as blessed people. But the enemy will try to stop that from happening. So we have to stand in faith on what this word says so that we can continue to see the fulfillment of the blessings that God wants to bring. And this is a part of getting stronger as a Christian and building our spiritual maturity and strength 
is being able to walk through attacks that the enemy brings against us to try to derail us and disrupt us from things that would attack the blessings of God and to stand strong on His Word and to see those blessings just continue to grow and be released in and through our lives no matter what the enemy is trying to bring against us. And so I'll give you a few points today. Um, The first one is God's blessing is more powerful than the enemy's cursing. Simple statement, really, but it's profound. We need to know that. Yes, is the enemy going to try to curse you? Is he going to try to attack you? going to try to destroy you? Absolutely. It's a fluff message if I don't tell you that. But is God's power and his blessing absolutely superior and more powerful than anything the enemy can do? Absolutely it is. Do you have to stand in faith to walk in the fulfillment of that? Absolutely you do. So God's blessing is more powerful than the enemy's cursing. So there's this story back in the book of Numbers, chapters 22 through 24, where Moses is leading the people of Israel, and they're in the wilderness, they're in the desert, they're they're not crossing over into the promised land yet. And uh, they've defeated some peoples, and obviously the whole thing in Egypt happened and everybody in the land has heard about this and Moses and the people of Israel they come to this place called Moab and there's this king there called Balak and Balak becomes very afraid because he's heard the stories of God's people coming out of Egypt and the Red Sea parting destroying the Egyptians and he's looking out over the wilderness and over the desert and he sees them scattered just in vast numbers bigger than anybody can count and he knows that they're probably going to be conquered as well. So Balak sends word to his prophet, which is a guy by the name of Balaam. You ever wonder why they're so close together in some of these stories? Balak, Balaam, Elijah, Elisha. Like, can we just make it a little easier? I don't know. This is what I think. So Balak sends to Balaam. He says, I need you to do me a favor. Balaam is is the trusted prophet of Balak. He says, I need you to come and I need you to curse these people for me so that they won't overtake us. This is huge. Because Balaam, he, he wants to please the king, but he's also committed to being a, a person of integrity. He says, if, if God doesn't say that, then I can't say that. Right, So whatever God says and whatever he speaks is what Balaam is going to say to Balak. And Balak says, no, I need, you to, I need you to curse my enemies. Come, I'll give you anything you want, silver, gold, money. And Balaam says, you can give me your whole house and the kingdom if you want to, but if God doesn't say it, then I, I can't say it. It doesn't matter. So they do this deal where they go out three times, and they build these altars, and Balaam attempts to seek God so that he can try to curse these people for Balak. And every time he does this, he comes back and he brings the word of the Lord and he says, "This I can't do it. God says that I can't curse these people because he's already called them blessed. And actually, there's a blessing that they're going to continue to step into. And so Balak, the king, he gets furious. He says, "What what are you doing? I asked you to curse my enemies And you come here and you not only don't curse them, but you actually bless them in the process. What is this all about? Listen to some of the words that we see here that God speaks to Balaam and Balaam shares with Balak regarding his attempt to curse God's people, but unsuccessful. 
Numbers 22, 12. God said to Balaam, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. Numbers 23, verse 8. He says, Balaam says to Balak, how shall I curse whom God has not cursed? And how shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? Verse 11, then Balak said to Balaam, what have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies, and look, you have blessed them bountifully. 23, chapter 23, 19 and 20. God is not a man that he should lie. Let this get in your spirit right here today. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. He Has he said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Behold, I have received a command to bless... He has blessed, and I cannot reverse it. What am I trying to say to you today? Is the enemy going to try and curse you? Absolutely. But if you will stand on the promises and blessings of God, then what God has said is blessed will not be cursed, and it cannot be reversed. And we have to walk in that, in that knowledge and in that strength all the time. And if that's the case... The enemy can keep on coming and keep on trying to attack, but the blessings of God will just continue to flow in and through our lives despite his efforts to try and stop that. It'll just keep coming. There'll be nothing that, you, that the enemy can do to stop that if we walk in faith. One day we were, uh, I was outside doing some yard work at the house, and the kids were all inside playing downstairs in the basement, and we have uh, this pressurized uh, tank for our water system, and so, you know, obviously if anything happens, a pipe breaks or whatever, it's just the pressure is intense, and it's just ex ex explosive, you know, so I'm outside doing yard work, and all of a sudden, the kids come running outside, several of them screaming and yelling, dad, dad, help, help, first your heart drops, you know, like, whoa, what's, what's everybody okay, fingers, toes, everybody's good, okay, and uh, they're like, no, no, dad, the pipe we ran into the pipe in the basement, and it broke. They're riding their little scooters around. You know, Tom, they hit the pipe and explodes. So like, we ran into the pipe. It broke. Water's going everywhere. Help, Dad, help. So I come running inside. You know, I come running down the stairs. As I'm going down the stairs, Pastor Mike, it sounds like Niagara Falls down there. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this cannot be good. I come down. I turn the corner. I mean, it's like Old Faithful. Guys are just and it's just hitting the ceiling and spreading everywhere. And it's just water is just covering everything. Like a fire hydrant, just, just nonstop. And it is not slowing down. It is not stopping. So finally I, I run over, you know, get through the tide of water, get to the lever and shut the water off, and then it, it stops. See, the blessings of God to me, are a lot like that water pressure. If we stay in faith, they will just keep coming. But faith is like that lever that opens up that valve. And if our faith is attacked, or we begin to doubt these promises in the face of an intimidating enemy, and it's like that lever begins to close off. We have to walk in faith and not by sight, and when we do, we stand on the truth of this word, and then the blessings of God continue to flow 
in and through our lives despite anything else that's going on in our surroundings. That's very important. You see, when we read the scriptures, we also recognize that it tells us we are saved by grace through faith. So what is grace? Grace is the flow of the power of God. It's the unmerited favor of God in our lives. It's the game changer that empowers us to do everything that God's called us to do. With God's grace, anything is possible. Without God's grace, you can't do anything good enough to fulfill God's plan for your life. It's the difference maker. But it says grace comes by faith. So faith precedes grace. You understand that? Like, You're saved by the grace of God after you've believed. You have to believe in these promises and these blessings in order for the grace and the release of those blessings to flow in and through your life. How do we have faith? Well, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So when we hear the word of God, the truth, it gets into our soul and it produces faith. And that faith, we know, the Bible tells us, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. So once faith is in us for the promise and the blessings of God, then there's something solid our faith can stand on. It's like leverage that we can push off of in the face of opposition, and the flow of grace and blessing continues to come in and through our lives. We have to walk in faith and not by sight. So the first point is God's blessing is more powerful than the enemy's cursing. Second point is God's blessing is more powerful than natural circumstances. So Genesis chapter 26 is a story, and this this is a story about Isaac. And this is a story about standing on the promise of blessing. And then the blessing continuing to grow and expand in our lives. Let's read verses 1 through 5. It says, There was a famine in the land, and besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham, and Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. And then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you, For to you and your descendants I give all these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac dwelt in Gerar. So here's the setting here. Isaac is in the land that's the the promised land to Abraham and his descendants. And there's a deep famine that is occurring all around them. So the land is dry, it's parched, nothing can grow. Livestock are obviously at risk to die. Livelihood of your family, of your servants, everything could be completely wiped out in a time of famine. Typically what would occur is people would flee to a different region where they could have relief from the famine that was in that area, and then they would come back at a later time. And God says something very, very 
challenging to Isaac. He says, I don't want you to leave and go down to Egypt. He was probably already thinking about it because there was a famine years ago when Abraham was around and Abraham did go to Egypt. At that time, God permitted it. But right now, God's saying to Isaac, don't go to Egypt. This is huge because what God is literally saying to him is don't take your family and your livestock and your, and, and your livelihood and go seek relief in a land where there is no famine, which makes a lot of sense. Don't do that. Stay and dwell in the land you're in right now where there is complete famine. And Isaac has to respond in what? Faith. He has to hear the word of God and then trust it and obey it in order to see the blessings of God continue to flow at a time where the world is in famine in this region. Now, I want to add on to this that God says, he says, I will bless you. I will be with you and I will bless you and I will multiply your descendants as the stars. I will give you all this land, all these things. This is a blessing repeated. This is not the first time that Isaac has heard this because this is the blessing that God spoke in the original covenant to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12. So what is God doing? He is recognizing at a moment of vulnerability where Isaac is at and he's telling Isaac to stay in the land of famine. He is repeating the promise and the blessing that has already been spoken over Abraham and over his lineage. He is reminding Isaac of what he's already said that he's going to do. And I just want to say this, I don't know about you, but for me, I am awfully glad that God goes to the links and is willing to repeat himself and to continue to say the things over me in my life that he's already spoken so that I can hear them again and again and again and again in my time of need to encourage me fresh in that moment that my faith may be strengthened and my resolve strengthened to face whatever it is that's going on. This isn't a new thing. It's, a, it's something that's already been said, but he's repeating and he's reminding him of that. And so Isaac says, okay, that's good enough for me, Lord. And he chooses to stay in a land where there is famine, where frankly, if God doesn't do what he just said, the probability of death is very high for most of them, if not all of them. So let's read what happens after this. Jump down to verses 12 through 14. It says, So Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. That's a lot of prospering right there. We're going to talk about that in a second. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants, and so the Philistines envied him. And now his enemies see the evidence of all this blessing. But he, it says that Isaac sowed and reaped a hundredfold in the same year. Now let's appreciate for a moment, if we can, 
the power of exaggeration in Scripture. Okay? Because Isaac has to first take a step of faith. He sows seed into hard, dry ground. You would say in the natural, that that is absolutely nonsense and crazy. Dude's digging up dry dirt and putting seeds in the soil. What is he thinking? There is no water. He can't even break the dirt hardly. It's so hard. He's chiseling the dirt to put seed in there. Dry dirt. Doesn't he know how to farm? What's wrong with this guy? But Isaac is not operating by sight and what he sees in the natural. He's operating by faith because he's obeying the word of the Lord that he has heard. Can I just encourage you? When you obey the word of the Lord, then the blessings and the prosperity are sure to come because God will bless anything that we do in obedience and faith to him. It says he, he sowed and he reaped a hundredfold in the same year. Now a hundredfold from scripture is kind of the highest level multiplier that we see when it talks about multiplication. Remember Jesus' parable story it says, Good seed falls on good soil, will produce a harvest. Not if, not a question about that, it will. And here's how it works. Some will produce 30, some will produce 60, some will produce 100 fold. There's multipliers there. 100 is the highest one. Isaac reaps 100 fold, the highest one you can reap, in the same year. Impossible. Impossible. You could grow crops, fruit would be produced, We know that God created fruit to bear the seed to produce more fruit within it. That's miraculous too. And the the fruit would spill seed on the ground and then those crops would grow. And then year after year, the crops would become more dense and more uh, the the production of fruit per bushel, whatever, would grow and grow and grow. So a hundredfold could come, but it didn't come in the first year. He reaps it in the first year. What is God trying to say? He's trying to make a statement. The natural conditions here are completely opposed and against to any blessing of God flowing in their life. But we're not operating by the natural because natural circumstances are not as powerful as the blessings of God. And I want to remind you in Ephesians 1, it says that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing from the heavenly realm. So these blessings that God wants to give us have their origin in a heavenly, supernatural, all-powerful kingdom in place, and they flow into our lives where we walk and live amongst the natural environment. But the blessings are from a supernatural source. The dry dirt and the famine and all these conditions, they're of earthly origin. They're of earthly existence. But the blessings from God are superior to anything earthly. And so because he's walking in faith, he's seeing the harvest and he's seeing it a hundredfold in the same year. And God's making a statement, if you'll trust my word and trust what I say and walk by faith, then you will continue to walk under this blessing no matter what is happening in the environment around you. Let me just ask you something. Does the dirt feel really dry in your life right now? Does it seem pretty like dusty and parched around you? Like the conditions in your environment just don't seem ripe for revival, for blessing, for something big to occur in your life? Are you waiting for the natural 
conditions and the environment to change before you expect God to start bringing blessings into your life? Or do you trust that God's blessings can override and supersede all of those things? I hope we see for the supernatural possibilities and not the natural limitations. Let's keep moving. In Genesis 26, uh, we saw there in verses 12 through 14, it says that he had flocks and herds and servants, and that he was prosperous, he began to prosper and continue prospering. Look, everything the dude touches is growing. You see that? Everything he touches is growing. He's blessed to the right, he's blessed to the left, he's blessed ahead, and he's blessed behind. 360 degrees. He is blessed everywhere he's going. This is the power of God, and this is the promise of God over your life and my life as well, because we've been grafted into the promise that's been given to Abraham as children of God through Christ Jesus. He's blessed everywhere. It says he began to prosper, he continued prospering, he became very prosperous. It's a lot of prospering. What does that mean? It means that the blessings are accumulating. The blessings that are flowing into his life are expanding, and it's literally beginning to push his borders and his perimeters out because he's running out of room for all of the blessings that God is continuing to bring into his life. Because the spigot is steady flowing and it hasn't been turned off. And it's filling up the whole environment around him to the point where the next thing that happens is his enemies come to him and say, you got to get out of here. There's not room for all of us here. And Isaac says, no problem. And he gets up and he moves and he expands. God expands his borders and his territory to make room for more blessing now because he's outgrown the area that he's in, in a famine, in a famine with what God is up to and what he is doing. Oh my God, let me just tell you something right now. If you walk in faith and not by sight, then the accumulation of the progressive blessings in your life will expand so much that God will have to continue expanding your borders and your perimeters to make room and space for the increasing level of impact and influence that he wants to bring you. Jabez says, God, that you would enlarge my territory that your hand would be with me and I would not cause evil. I love the moxie of this guy to pray for God to expand his territory so that he could do something great for God. This is all we hear about in the Bible about this guy named Jabez in Chronicles. He prayed, God, enlarge my territory. Two or three verses. You know what the last one is, Randy? It says, and God granted him his request. God wants to expand our borders. He wants to expand our territory and our reach and our influence for him. And as the blessings flow into our lives, it's going to fill the place up so much that he has to expand those borders. And he has to expand those perimeters so that we can continue to extend our influence and our impact for him. It's a picture of the kingdom advancing and more territory continuing to be taken for the kingdom of God away from the enemy in this dark and hurting world. 
And we're advancers. We need to be. But I'm just trying to say to you today, if you don't walk by faith, it's not going to happen. Because if you see in the natural, or you bend your knee to the intimidation of the enemy, then you're not going to walk by faith in a way for the, where the blessings of God can continue to flow. But if you'll stand on this right here, and you'll believe it, and you'll trust it, and you'll obey it, if you'll dig dry dirt up to plant seed because God says so, then he'll bring a harvest for you too. He'll bring the blessings into your life as well. And here's the thing. He's not bringing them just because he wants to give you more. I mean, it is part of it. He loves us. But it's, we don't expand our borders and territory so that we can live fat on the calf. The promise to Abraham is you will be a blessed nation and you will bless all of the nations of the world. We are blessed to be a blessing. Our borders expand and our territory is filled with blessing so that we can bless and enrich the world around us. That's what God wants to use his people to do. And if we'll do that, if we'll live that way, God says, I'll, I'll, I'll bring you everything you need. I'll give you everything you need to do what I need you to do. You stay humble. You obey me. You walk by faith. You be a good steward. I'm going to give you everything you need. I'm going to keep growing it and keep growing it and keep growing it. So Abraham goes around, or Isaac goes around. It says that he gets into this new land, and he starts to dig wells, wells of water, which is very valuable, probably the most valuable thing to building up your community because it irrigates the crops, feeds the livestock, people, all that, right? So he goes around, and he starts digging these wells. Everywhere he goes, he digs a well. There's water. There's water. There's water. He just can't stop getting blessed. More water. It says that he came into this area, and there were wells that were previously dug by his father Abraham that the Philistines had started stopping up. So they were shoving earth and clay down into these wells that had already been dug to stop the water from being able to flow. Let me say it another way. The enemy tried to plug up the flow of the blessings of God in his life so that they wouldn't continue to flow. But if a blessing is meant to flow, a blessing is meant to flow. And you know what Isaac did? They went into that land and they unstopped all of those wells. So here's the key. They had old wells that were stopped up that began to flow again, but they had new wells that got dug and began to flow as well. So let me ask you a question today. Is it possible that somewhere along the line, maybe without even realizing it, or maybe in a moment of lack of faith, that the enemy snuck in and stopped up some wells in your life? Is it possible that God tapped some flow of blessings in your past that were flowing at one point that the enemy somehow got in and began to stop up, and they haven't been flowing for a while? I would suggest to you today that those wells could be unstopped. They could be opened back up, and that water can flow again. Because what God says is blessed should not be able to be reversed. But here's the other part. God has some new wells that he wants to dig with you too. He has some new wells that he wants to tap so that water can begin to flow. Because you are blessed. 
And when you turn to the left, you're blessed. And when you turn to the right, you're blessed. And when you look ahead, you're blessed. And when you look behind, you're blessed. Because God says you're blessed everywhere within your perimeter of influence. And he wants to continue expanding those borders so that you can be a greater impact and influence for him in this world. Man, I think we need to rise up to be that people right now where we are conduits of God's blessing just flowing richly in and through our lives constantly. Everybody say, God is making room. This last, this last well that Isaac dug in this story, chapter 26, verse 22, this says, he moved from there and he dug another well and they did not quarrel over it. He called its name Rehoboth. Because he said, for now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. Rehoboth, that well, that name of that well, it means spaciousness. It means God is making room for more blessing that he wants to bring. He's blessing us so much that he had to expand our borders. And now he is making space for more of what he's wanting to do. Can you look ahead and see the future blessings that God wants to bring in and through your life? And can you see the need for an expansion of borders in order to do that? I hope we walk with that kind of faith and that kind of vision for what God is going to do. And then in the very end of this story here, chapter 26, jump down to... uh, Verses 24 and 25. This is Isaac's response. And the Lord appeared to him. This is, the Lord appears to him again after all these things have happened. The Lord appeared to him in the same night and he said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. Sound familiar? So he built an altar there, and he called on the name of the Lord, and he pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well, and dig another well, another well, another well, digging wells everywhere. But the Lord appears to Isaac, he encourages him, he speaks the same promise over him again, he repeats it, he's continuing to build his faith with the truth of his word and of his promise. Okay, it says in the beginning of these this story it says he swore this promise he made an oath which means that God actually swore it by himself and by his own word which is incredibly powerful because there's nothing greater that you could make a promise by he, he makes the promise to bless us by himself by his own word he's committed to it he will perform it does that make sense like He's, he is 100% it if we walk by faith. And so Isaac, this promise is repeated over him, and then Isaac says, he responds, and he builds, and I, I, I don't know if you see this, but I see something really um, important here. It says he built an altar, and then he pitched a tent, and then they dug a well. So what is his first response? Builds an altar. He worships God. He, he has... A heavenly focus. His eyes are on God first. 
If we want to see our relationships blessed and we want to see our resources blessed, we can't keep our eyes strictly on these things. We have to keep our eyes focused on heaven. God has got to be number one in our life at all times. We take our eyes off him and that starts to shift and then things start to become out of order in our lives. When God is first, everything else falls into order. He built an altar and he worshiped the Lord. Then he pitched his tent, his family. He's got to take care of them. They got to have a shelter. They got to have a roof over their house. I'm going to make sure my home is in order. I'm going to make sure my family is well cared for. God is number one, and my family is my next priority. And then he says he dug a well. Now I'm going to go do what God's calling me to do. Now I'm going to go work and labor and pursue this thing that God wants me to do in this land to make an impact. And, and I just hope for all of us that we live our life in that kind of way, where it's God-focused first and foremost all the time. And then we lead well in our own homes and with our own families, and we make sure we're getting the job done there. And then we step out in faith and go dig some wells. Go do some work and some labor for God to make an impact in the region, in the area that we're in, and watch the blessings continue to flow and watch God continue to expand our borders. Amen? I'll close with this. I think a lot of times we are good at asking the question, why, when it comes to hardships in our lives. I know I am. I would imagine most of you are too. Where something bad happens, something hard, something difficult and we ask the question, why, God? Why did you let this happen? Right? Why? And many times, there's an answer that we never get to a lot of those questions. But we could get very good at asking why in the hardship. But I think we need to get really good at asking why in the blessings and in the prosperity, and in the riches of what God wants to bring. We can look around in the moments of being blessed and say, what are you up to, God? Why are you treating me so good? I'm not worthy of this. Why, why are you so good to me, God? Why is, my family's healthy. My home is secure. I got a job. I got people who love me and care about me. Why are you so good to me, God? I, I don't deserve this. We ask why in the hard things. Maybe we need to start asking that more in the good things that are surrounding our life every single day. And here's why I say that, because if we ask that question why, ultimately, and there'll be a lot of, I believe, answers that God will continue to bring and speak over your life as you do that. But I promise you, it will always begin with this. Why? Because I love you. Because I love you that much. That I want to bless you. That I want to bestow these heavenly riches that are fully at my availability. I just want to shower you with them. And I just want to love on you because you're my child. And I love my kids. Your parent, you love your kids, right? I mean, there's nothing you wouldn't do for your kids. You don't want to cripple them, but you want to build them up strong, be all God's created them to be. There's nothing you wouldn't do for them. You 
love them and so you bless them with anything and everything you can that's good for them and you do not withhold and you don't do it to get something back in return it's driven entirely by love the closest thing I can compare to the way God sees us he wants to bless you today and in your future and in your destiny very richly and very expansively because he loves you he loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you that he gave up his most precious thing his son at his right hand and sent him to walk in flesh and bone and to suffer a treacherous death and be punished and be tortured for something he was innocent of so that his precious blood could be spilled and that you could be bought and that you could be brought back into relationship with him we are called children of god when and only when we accept the free gift of that grace and we are cleansed by that blood and forgiven of the sin that we are born into the world with. So I just encourage you today, if you're here, you say, I need to get right with Christ. I need to give my life to Jesus today. It's time for me to surrender and turn over the reins to Him. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you have walked away from your walk with God, but He's just been trying to draw you back ever since and you turned your will against his and went a different direction, but you know now that you need to get back to walking with him and for him. Whatever the case may be, I just want to pray for you today. If that's where you're at, just receive this prayer, and you just mean business with God in your own heart. You say, Father God, I love you. Jesus, I believe you are my Lord and my Savior. I give my life to you today. Come and fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord. I turn from the life that I've known, and I turn entirely to you. Empower me by your grace to walk out the steps that you preordained for me. God, help me to become the person that you have created me to be. I know I'm blessed so that I can be a blessing. Use me, God, to be your instrument in this world. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Let's just give God praise as we go out of here today.